values that we would see written in the Bible. So something happens. Something happens in that those who say they have a changed life don't show a changed life. Then it gets hard. We know we know what happens in that culture. That culture sees the laws of God not upheld, sees a handing over happening. Um, but there's another consequence too. Uh, one of the other consequences is that we begin to look for uh, external things to differentiate us without making sure that it reflects the holy God who saves us. This is, this is what I mean. Um, I was hoping it was just a little social media thing with a couple – uh, I'm going to use the word knuckleheads. Um, the, the, the proper term is a couple Judaizing apostate brothers within our greater circle of believers who know that we have to stand up against abolitionism. And I'm talking about this Judaizing work that's happening now where people are binding others to the law of God in a way that does not reflect Christ. The audio. Um, and I say Judaizing because what's happening, and I talked to I talked to a young man um, in person in town this week, and at the end of the conversation, he said, "I got a teacher that I want you to listen to," and he's encouraging us to find our Hebrew roots as believers. And that was like the fourth time I've heard someone talk about that phrase to me. And I asked him, <laughs> explain to me more, please, what you're talking about. The Lord gave me a little bit of a slower-to-speak mouth, and I needed it because I wanted to pounce. And I'm glad I didn't because I wanted to hear from him. And he said, I, I don't see Christians' lives look different, and we need to be different in the world. So there's a hungering to be different, and what he was being drawn to are these people who say that we've lost our Jewish roots from Yeshua and we need to cling back to these things of the law that separate us from the world. And as he talked, I understood his heart and I, and I get it. And a year ago, if someone said, we need to better understand that, that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and we need to understand what that means, I would have been, amen. Absolutely we do. But I've seen something happening, and I see it catching on a wildfire, and it is it is atrocious to use human language, to use divine language. It is an abomination. It is Judaizing. It's apostate. It's actually damnable heresies. And what it is is it is saying I'm going to put myself back under the law because I want to look different in a world that is being handed over in unrighteousness. <clears throat> So we want to be different than the world that's being handed over in unrighteousness. But God forbid we go back under the law that Christ has freed us from. I want to give some examples on, on why I see this being so dangerous, but why it sounds so good. And I'm going to use the actual the name of God. We have used Yahweh more often. Taking the English, the Lord, and trying to reflect the personal name of God. We know that it's probably not pronounced exactly as it was pronounced you know, 4,000 years ago. But we do our best to reflect the name of God revealed to us. But I'll have you know, I turn to the Hebrew, and the word in Hebrew is Yahweh. It's there, like it's written in Hebrew. When I turn to the New Testament... There is never one passage, not one passage in the New Testament that says Yeshua. That's their big thing. We need to start calling Jesus Yeshua. I go, okay, cool. He's the Jesus. He's the Jewish Messiah. I'm, I'm okay using Jewish names to reference a Jewish man 2,000 years ago. But here's the problem. When they quote New Testament scriptures, they substitute the name Jesus for Yeshua. And here's the deal. There is not one 
passage in your New Testament that calls Jesus Yeshua. I don't care what they said in Hebrew because I believe the Greek is inspired. It's the text that God delivered to us. You want to call Jesus Yesu? Well, that's fine. That's the Greek name for it. I'm pretty sure that we're all singing the praise. Well, we're all going to be singing the name of Jesus in a language that the Lord makes clear to us when we're there in heaven. Okay, and in the meantime, he crosses the gap, right? He, Christ, is the first missionary sent to communicate his truth to us. And here's why I bring that up. I bring it up because we make small shifts to scripture because we know better. We know that Jesus really would have been called Yeshua. So we're going to change the text to reflect Yeshua rather than this tainted Greek Jesus name thing. They got this thing that they do. Or we're just going to trust that what we have is what we have. And we have the text the way that we have the text because it is what the inspired word of God is. The God who delivered it to us gave us exactly what we need for life and godliness. And that's what we're going to cling to. And we're going to be changed by it. We're going to be submitted to it. Even if we don't like necessarily what we read at first, if it's hard for our flesh to accept, we're going to submit to it. And we're not going to judge, ah, I think... I think this is what that text is supposed to say. I think this is what that means. And it leads to all kinds of things. All kinds of things. I have literally seen arguments over I've, – I've, I've mentioned this multiple times. It's just, I find it so appalling. Arguments sounding like Pharisees and Sadducees with how many – give me a list of 100 things I can do or not do on the Sabbath day. And, we, and you think I'm exaggerating. It is not. We could go look and see the posts and the conversations of people trying to figure this out. You are no longer under law but under grace. Why do I know that? Because that's what the word of God tells me. But here's what I appreciate about the, at least the initial heart behind it, because we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, and why I think that those of us who are going to cling to the truth of God as revealed to us, we need to be really good at. We need to understand the problem, but offer the right solution. So their problem is they see Christians, quote unquote, they're going to say quote unquote, Christians not acting like Christ, not reflecting a changed life, not looking different from the world, and they're going to go, we need to be different. And we've lost what it means to be different, and we're going to find it in our Hebrew roots. And I'm going to say all of that is the very same Everything that they just said until the very end, we're going to find it in Christ. In the changed life in Christ is where we're going to find it. And we're going to find it in obedience and we're going to find it in repentance. And it actually was not me seeking out this point in this text. It's where the text has led us today in Ephesians chapter 4. And I find I'm so thankful for it. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're starting at verse 17 and working through what we're going to see is the changed life of the believer. And what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received. And I'm going to say in no uncertain terms, it has nothing to do with yoking yourself to the law. In any way, in any shape, in any form. You want to keep a Sabbath and you think Saturday is the best way to do it. And so you set Sabbath aside unto the Lord to worship and spend time with your family and enjoy the good things he's given you. I'm going to give you a hearty amen. That becomes a law to you. I'm going to tell you to repent. Okay? Period. End of story. Anything we do becomes a law and a burden. You have yoked yourself to a labor that is not ours in Christ because Christ has either fulfilled it all or he hasn't. Now, that doesn't mean we can go murder people because Christ has fulfilled this requirement so I can do it. Right. Because he we want to he says a new commandment I give you. I want to walk in love. I want to walk in intimacy with Christ to quote from Romans six. You. You've died to sin. Why would you walk in it any longer? Why would you walk in impurities? And you don't need me to tell you that it's bad to murder. The spirit of God in you 
if that hasn't already done as you're renewed, I'll read some text and we'll clarify. Right. But the spirit of God will be drawing us to him. So we're not going to be binding ourselves to the law. But what we're going to find and this passage had to be broken up into two parts. And the first part of this passage is the idea of no longer walking as the Gentiles, no longer walking as the Gentiles. And then the next part that we'll look at next Sunday is walk in a manner worthy. No longer walking as the Gentiles and then walk in a manner worthy. Something else that we're going to see in this passage, this, uh, this we're titled today, Repentance According to Ephesians. It's because our God is so good. He gives us a lot of different passages to help us understand the things that are really, really critical. And we're going to do a quick review of Jeremiah chapter 2 and 3 that talked about repentance from the book of Jeremiah. And we're going to see how the same God inspired Jeremiah that inspired the book of Ephesians. And we have exactly everything we need for righteousness and godliness. And my prayer is that we better understand the issue of repentance and the issue of sanctification. Repentance and sanctification. These are the keys. This is what it means to be in Christ. We have repentance in Christ as a gift. We have sanctification in Christ as a gift. And the verse that I quote every single time to any one of these people is, You fool, were you saved by grace or saved by works? Now are you being perfected by grace or by works? That's Galatians. Plain and simple. You are saved by grace in Christ as a gift. You're going to walk and be perfected in Christ as a gift no more, no more the yoke of the law upon us. So Heavenly Father, we pray that as we work through this first part of Ephesians chapter 4, the passage of 17 and on, as we, as we look at this text and this, this word, may we, may we be humbly submitted to your word the way that you've revealed it to us, the way that you've kept it to this day that we trust you. We don't need to add to this, nor do we need to take away from it. This is exactly what we need for life and godliness because it's of you, it's from you, it's for your glory, it's empowered by your spirit, it's about the person and work of Jesus Christ, and it's ultimately done for your glory. May we be humble recipients of this truth today. In the name of Jesus, amen. And I'm going to say in the name of Jesus because that's what my text tells me to say. In the, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's what my Bible says. So, here we are in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Let me read some of this passage. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in your reference, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the, the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. May the Lord continue to bless the reading of his word. May the Lord continue to bless the walking in his truths. May we stay faithful to you, O Lord. Amen. All right. No longer walk as the Gentiles. This is the point of that introduction. The church, the professing church in America, I believe the bride is pure, The professing church in America has been walking in a manner of the world. 
So Paul, inspired by the Spirit here, is going to help us better understand that. No longer walk as the Gentiles. And here is the best way to define how the Gentiles walk. The futility of their mind. Do not walk in the futility of their mind. So, let's look at some of these terms. This uh, this passage, I'm actually going to spend a lot of time looking at the particular words that Paul uses, for one, because it's, it's part of the case that I was making early on, that we have the word of God exactly as we're supposed to have it, and the words that he chose to use to talk about these things are important. I'm also going to tell you that he uses very unique words. There's like, I believe, five of the key words in this passage are used in only three verses in the New Testament. There's one word that's used only here. There's other word that's used only ten times. He's using words that every time these words are used, they're used very rarely, but they're all related to the same concept. And I think he wants us to understand them. But before we do, we're going to look at that word, Gentile, and better understand what in the world we're talking about. No longer walk as the Gentiles. When I tell you what this Greek word is, you're going to know what words we use in English to talk about this concept. The word is ethnos, ethnic, different ethnic groups. That concept comes from this word that in our English is translated as Gentile. It's ethnos. It means a number of things. Let me show you the main usages of it in our, in our, in our text. In the book of Revelation, there is a lot of mention of the nations, particularly in the end. The last couple chapters talk a lot about the nations coming together to worship God. That word nations is this word Gentiles, ethnos. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 8, this is another use of the word, not just generically for nations, people groups, different ethnicities. Without any kind of real moral description. It's the nations will gather to worship the Lord. It's a good thing they've come together. So Galatians 2 verse 8 says this though. Peter has in his apostleship to the circumcised, but Paul does to the Gentiles. So now you see that there's the division between the circumcised and the uncircumcised. The Jew and the Gentile. Covenant people of God, not covenant people of God. Sometimes that word ethnos is used to distinguish between the covenant people of God and the non-covenant people of God under the under the law, under circumcision. But for our text, our text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 5, is a is the best description of what we mean by Gentile. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, it says, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. So Paul takes this word that can mean ethnicities, different nations that have been used to use just as categories, Jew and non-Jew. And he takes that to describe the life of people who do not know God. Think Romans chapter 1 kind of people. People, according to 1 Thessalonians, in lustful passions. People like the world. People obeying the lustful desires of the flesh. That's the concept here. Do not walk in a manner of those who do not know God and follow lustful Passions would be another way to frame this concept that we're looking at here in Ephesians chapter 4. It'll help us to pause real quick and to think of Ephesus. Now, if you know anything, I don't know if you've ever studied some of these Greek cities like Corinth, Athens, Ephesus. These cities are grotesquely lustful cities. They have temples to Greek gods and goddesses. 
And the best way to worship a Greek god and goddess is sexually. They are centers for commerce. So our phrase in English, you're going to drink and smoke like a sailor, curse like a sailor. Because these people are out of boats and they just travel to places. And when they show up at a port city, they live like pirates. That's at least where the concept comes from. These places of commerce, everybody comes together. Everybody's exchanging ideas. Everybody's celebrating. Money's being exchanged. All kinds of things are happening at these places. Ephesus is no different. One of the seventh, seven wonders of the ancient world. We've got... We got a song that my kids used to learn as a kid. The seven wonders of the ancient world are. Do you remember the song? Artemis. So one of the things is the temple to Artemis. Temple to Diana is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. That's how magnificent and huge and attention gathering this temple was. Do you know? Can you guess? Where this temple was located in the ancient world. Ephesus. Ephesus. That's how big this temple was. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the grotesque behavior when you're not just at a temple to a goddess in ancient Rome? You're at the greatest temple called a wonder of the ancient world. You may be not surprised to know that Diana is one of the sex goddesses. Gross orgies, just grossness happening at these things. Okay, this is Ephesus. We think of Revelation. We says, "Come out of her, my people. Don't walk like you're still captive in Babylon." Which is funny. Babylon had another ancient wonder. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon was an ancient wonder. These cities build these huge things to take pride and boast in human, what humans can accomplish. And God tells us to walk out of that and to walk faithful to him. So in Ephesians, God is speaking to the people. And he says, no longer walk as people who don't know me. No longer walk in the lustful desires of the flesh. No longer walk like those who worship Diana. No longer walk like those who live for the marketplace. It's time to be different. The futility of their mind. This word futility is a very interesting word, futility, because this word is only used this exact word is only used three times in your New Testament. So there's a word for vain. That's not this word. This word is futility. Matayotes. Matayotes. Futility. Here's what it means. It means devoid of truth and appropriate behavior. It means perverse, depraved, frail, weak. So vain is the concept of empty. Do not take the Lord's name in vain, meaning you're saying the Lord, you call upon the Lord, you're saying you represent the Lord, but you do it vainly. You don't really represent him. It's an empty phrase. That vain is different than this. This is futility. This is almost like the picture of righteousness, but really is the opposite. It's full of, well, the left. Full of the lack of truth, whatever that means. I want you to hear one of the passages that this word comes in. It's used in Romans 8.20, but it's also used in 2 Peter chapter 2. We're actually going to reference 2 Peter chapter 2 a lot today. So 2 Peter chapter 2 talks about false teachers. And here's what these false teachers do. They follow sensuality. They indulge its flesh. They despise authority. They act like unreasoning animals. They revile without knowledge. They find pleasure to revel in their sin in the daytime. Their stains, blemishes, they revel in their deceptions. Their eyes are full of adultery. They never cease from sin, having a heart trained in greed, forsaking the right way they have gone astray. 
having followed the way of Balaam, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, who loved using the world in order to entangle God's people. And here we go. They are springs without water, mists driven by a storm, speaking arrogant words of vanity. They entice by fleshly desires. They are slaves to corruption. The futility of the mind marks those who do not know God. They are handed over to not just empty living, but to wicked living. But it's deceptive. And we need to always go back to 2 Peter chapter 2 in the days that we're living in now, because this is the kind of thing that has made people want to be Judaizers. Because they see the advancement of the LGBTQ agenda in America. They see the establishment of child sacrifice centers. They see a church filled with greed and building prideful entities to draw attention to themselves. And what they see is what Ephesians chapter 4 would call futility. It's futility. Do we know people today that are so handed over in their futility of their mind that they find it pleasurable to revel in their sin during the daytime? They do acts during the day on the side of the streets, on the street corner, on video, on social media that aren't even You couldn't even speak of these deeds in the dark. This is why this passage is so important for us today. The futility of the mind is what we see the world being handed over to today. That's what marks this walking like those who do not know God. First key point, key heading, is that they are handed over to the futility of Of their mind. Now when I say mind. I want us to pause and remember. What the word repentance means. Do we remember what the Greek word repentance means. Metanoia. It's a actual change of mind. It's what that word literally means. It's a change of mind. There's a change that needs to happen. This passage is talking about repentance. Repentance is having a futile mind filled with futility, filled with lustful passions, filled with all of the desires of the flesh, and having a change of mind that now you have a different mind, the mind of Christ, clothed with Christ, a different mind, a mind of freedom, a mind of grace. So this is a passage that's speaking of Repentance. And basically, he's telling the church to make sure that you are repentant people. Okay? Now, let's look at our text. Verse 18. There are, this is the beginning of three descriptions of what it means to be futile in the mind. Okay? All three of these begin with the Greek construction that ties it all back to this concept of walking as the Gentiles. So the question is, what does it actually look like to walk like those who don't know God in the futility of the mind? The first one is being darkened in their understanding. Being darkened in their understanding. What does it look like to walk in the futility of the mind like those who don't know God? Number one, darkened in their understanding. So this word, darkened, very interesting word. So when we talk about love, you know love is both a verb and a noun. Sometimes you need to love people. Sometimes you need to act in a loving way. Sometimes you talk about the thing, love is patient, love is kind. 
Okay. So there is a verb and a noun of this word that we're talking about. The noun is skatos, just so you know. By the way, I'm going to have all of these. There's some, there's some of these that I'm not even going to mention in the Greek to them. But if you want to study the words more, you can. Just let me know. I have them. So the noun is skatos, but this is a verb, and it's skatao. I say that, skatao. You can tell that it's, you can hear it the same, right? Skatos is the noun. Skatao is the verb. Skatas, skatao. This verb is in what's called the perfect, perfect tense. And this is what it means. It's something that's true of you. It's been done to you and it remains true perfectly. So once you've been darkened in your mind, if you're still, there's a darkening that happens and it stays. And it controls it's not, a, it's not a continued darkening like you're a little less dark. No, it's you've been darkened, and now how you exist today has been affected by the darkening that's already happened in your past. Let me, let me give you some examples of where this verb comes up, and if you can see the, the, what God is painting for us. So this noun, skatas, Matthew, the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, after... That unfaithful servant who was given the one talent and he was afraid of his master. So he buried it in the ground. Here's your one talent. Everybody else made money and interest. He's like, you wicked servant. You knew. You knew I'm fierce. You knew I expected more from you. You buried it. This is what he says in the parable. Throw the worthless slave into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Throw that slave into outer skatas. Colossians 1.13. We've been rescued from the domain of skatas and transferred into the kingdom of his love. 1 Peter 2.9. Ooh. 1 Peter 2.9. We should know this one well. Right? He called us to do what? To proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness, skatos, and into his marvelous light. 1 John 1.16. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, skatos, we lie and do not practice the truth. So there is something terrible about this darkness. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So if I told you that there's two more occurrences of this verb and they happen in one book, what book do you think they might be popping up in if it's the darkness that's weeping and gnashing of teeth? It's going to be the book of Revelation. It's going to be the book of Revelation chapter 9 verse 2. He opened the bottomless pit and the smoke darkened the sun in the air. So the whatever's coming out of the pit is darkening. Revelation 16.10. The fifth bowl poured out on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became darkened. So the kingdom of the beast became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they did not repent of their deeds. They were darkened. This is a miserable place. Darkened in their understanding. We're just not talking about people who don't have a clue. We're talking about people who are bearing the weight of their judgment against God and are gnashing and gnarling. That's the condition of the heart. It's a terrible darkening. John talks about it, about a darkness that covers the hearts of men. When we say people can't see the kingdom of God, we are talking about people who have been darkened by sin and they exist in that darkened state. It is a hellish state. And rather than repenting, they are blaspheming the God who deserves to be praised forever and ever. Amen. 
That's why this passage is about repentance. Because in each one of these conditions, the call is to repent. The call is to repent and to be free in Christ. So the futility of the mind that we are no longer to walk in, number one, darkened in their understanding. Darkened in their understanding. Understanding, it's another word for the mind, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Same word, strength. Colossians 1.21, formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. 1 Peter 1.13, prepare your minds for action. And 1 John 5.20, the Son of God came to give understanding. We're talking about the mind, the, the place that we understand what is right and what is good. And they're so darkened that they can't. Listen, saints, they can't understand because they're darkened in a state that they can't escape from. And more than that, that they're handed over to. And if someone can be so darkened that the pain is searing them and they're like chewing their tongues in pain and they refuse to repent, what can you do to change their heart? Can you do anything to that person to help their darkened mind see? No. We were just talking about this when we were talking about the passages uh, Wednesday night. We were just talking about our Bible reading. And God in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and all these things, he talks about all these judgments that he's going to pour out on people. And how do those passages end? It says, and they will know that I am God. They will know that I am the Lord. They will know that Yahweh has come and has purified the land from every nation. He's called them together. People darkened in their mind. Christ will show up and he will purify and they will know And at that point in time, we pray that they're saved. We pray that they cry out in repentance. But we know that there are going to be some that take that darkened heart all the way to the end. Their understanding never seen that this is the best it will ever get for people. So Christ is talking to the church and he says, stop walking like those that are darkened with the pit of hell in their mind who can't see. Stop walking like them. Hand it over. Okay. Next. What happens to these people next? The text tells us. Verse 18. After being darkened in their understanding, the next word that ties this description together, it's excluded from the life of God. You'll see in verse 18. They are excluded from the life of God. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, he says this. He says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. You were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth. Strangers to the promise." having no hope and without God in the world. What does it mean to be excluded from the life of God? It means to have no hope. It means to be without God in the world, a stranger to the covenant promises. It's why I don't boast in an evangelistic setting. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. I want people to know that for themselves when they encounter the truth of God and they hear it and they know God loves them because they know that they've been now included by the covenant promises of God themselves, a changed life. Because he is so good and faithful. Colossians 1.21 says this, formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Are you getting the idea that all these words are describing a mindset? That causes you to do evil, wicked deeds. 
Do you also hear, though, there's something that's happening in the use of these words? What does Ephesians 2.12 say? Remember what? That you were at that time yourself separated from Christ. Colossians 1.21, formally alienated and hostile in mind. Think of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We always want to quote 9 and 10. I tend to like 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were justified. You were sanctified in Christ. So this is for them to remember that they were like this. And they've been saved from it. You were excluded from the very life of God. And I love that phrase because we know hell isn't the absence of God. It's the absence of the love of God. It's the absence of the goodness of God. It's the absence of the joy that God gives. But they are very presently under the wrath and justice of that God. We know that. Excluded from the very life of God himself. Now here's two reasons. Our text, notice it says the word because twice. So why are they excluded from the very life of God? Because of two things. Number one, of the ignorance that is in them. And number two, because of the hardness of their heart. Think of that word ignorance. So why? Why? Are they so excluded from the life of God? Because of ignorance. You won't be surprised to know that this is a word that's not used very often in the New Testament. I've already told you that's going to happen. Let me let me look at the sermons that we see in the book of Acts. Okay, you have Acts chapter 317 and Acts chapter 1730 where this word ignorance comes in. And listen to what the text says. Peter's second sermon, I know that you acted in ignorance, but now Christ has fulfilled these things. Repent. And return so that your sins may be wiped away and a time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Acts chapter 1730. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men everywhere, all people should repent. Okay? So because of their ignorance... Because of their ignorance, they no longer have an excuse. God's not overlooking. Oh, you're not part of Israel? Sorry. No more excuses. No more excuses for your ignorance. God is now declaring, repent. We didn't know. Repent. But I don't understand. Repent. Repent, repent, repent. A time of ignorance and the hardness of their hearts. The hardness of their hearts. So, as we're describing the futility of the mind of those who walk like there is no God. Number one, being darkened in your understanding. Number two, excluded from the life of God because of ignorance and hardness of heart. And then number three, they've given themselves over to sensuality. Given themselves over. Who's doing the acting there? They are giving themselves over to sensuality. All right, I'm just going to mention a couple of the words from this verse because I want us to not be so overwhelmed with some of this stuff that, that all the words get mixed together. We're going to look at first this idea of being calloused because they're giving themselves over to sensuality. But look at what else the verse says. Having become callous, having become callous, they've given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Callous. It's actually the only time that word is used in our Greek New Testament. That word for callous. 
you may not be surprised to know that it means apathetic. It means you cease to feel grief. You no longer even feel grief or pain for the rebellion of your darkened heart. Do you see it's actually still a gift from God to feel the results of sin even for the unrepentant sinner? It's the moment you stop feeling that. You stop feeling the pain of your darkened, rebellious, sensual heart that you've now become calloused to it. And then there's these words, sensuality, impurities. And greediness. I'll have you know, these are the words. Where do these words pop up in our text? Pops up in Galatians chapter 5 when it talks about the deeds of the flesh. It talks about Romans 6.19, the weaknesses of the flesh. It's the kind of things that Colossians 3 tells us to consider ourselves dead to. It's the flesh. It's the lustful desires of the flesh. Sensuality. Unbridled lust. Wantedness. Shamelessness. Excess. Licentiousness. So the third category of being handed over to the futility of the mind, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now, the, the question that we're going to spend next time def- spending our whole time answering, but that we always, we're not going to end today without giving the, the solution. What do you do? What do you do? When you see those who profess to be Christ and they're walking in a futile mind, they're walking as those who are darkened for the pit of hell. They're walking as those who are excluded from the life of Christ. They're walking like those who are being handed over and delivering themselves over in ignorance to a hard, callous, sensual heart. What do we do? We yoke ourselves to the law. God forbid. I'm not missing any words on this anymore. It is anathema. It is a damnable thing to say. It is a damnable thing to do. And in fact, to do it, to be one passing that message, according to Galatians, is anathema. Don't you dare run back to the law. Why did, why did Christ die? Why did Christ die? He died so that you would no longer be enslaved to these things. And this is how the this is how the text does that transition, and this will be our wrap up where the text does that transition. In reference to your former manner of life, you have been taught the truth in Christ. In reference to these things, what have you done? You have repented. What do you mean? You've had a change of mind. Whose mind do you have when you're dead in your sins and trespasses? You have your mind of the flesh, set to the things of the flesh, darkened. Whose mind do you need? Do you need your mind 2.0? You don't need your mind 2.0. Your mind is garbage. He didn't come to make your mind a little healthier. He came to give you a new mind, the mind of Christ. Why? Because he didn't come to give you better deeds of righteousness for you to do. Now I'll let you act more righteously. Go do the law. You can just do it better than the others because now you've got the power of Christ helping you do the law. God forbid. You're clothed in Christ. When the Bible, when Ephesians says, put on the armor, don't do what they do in Sunday school. The armor of God that you're supposed to put on, that's not you reading through the list and putting on your pieces, tightening that belt and getting ready for action. That's not what you're doing. You're putting on Christ. You have it. It's yours. Walk in it. 
Don't grieve the spirit, the spirit of grace who freed us from the law. Walk in the fruits of the spirit, not in the fruits of the flesh. Cling to Christ, his finished work on the cross. Praise him. Look at each one of these things and go, oh, God, thank you. Thank you I'm not futile in my mind. That my mind isn't just empty. My mind is being handed over to wickedness. Thank you that I'm not excluded. Why am I not excluded in the life of God? Because of my ability to do a better job of keeping the old covenant? God forbid. Because Christ is my life. All I have is Christ. That's all I have. So now you're going to give yourself over to sensuality now that you have Christ? You've been freed from those things. Don't walk in them any longer. Walk in Christ, the newness of life in Christ. Know in your mind that you've repented of these old ways. Why? Because it's a gift. How fitting is it that our Old Testament scripture was Esau? Esau was mad and sad in tears because of why? Because he didn't care about his blessed state and he despised it for a cup of soup. It's not because there was no thing to eat anywhere ever. It was because he cared so little for his birthright. The Bible tells us his heart condition was so bad. And now he's sad and with tears once it changed. And he never even found repentance because it wasn't granted to him. So God commands all people everywhere to repent. Don't walk in ignorance. And so all we can do, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the good news. They're already dead. They're already dark. They feel actually the fires of hell. This is hell to me. You know what? Yes, you're right. You're actually right. It is hell. It is hell. It's just a piece of it, though. It's nothing. It's nothing to where it's coming. Now that you feel a little bit of hell, what are you going to do? Are you going to blaspheme God or are you going to repent? And who is worthy for such a task? Ambassadors of Jesus Christ, ministers of reconciliation. We have a message of life that they be reconciled to the Lord because they're already condemned. They're already feeling hell. We have some bad days, weeks, months, years, however, it depends on how old you are and the things that you've gone through. But this isn't hell because we have Christ. We're not, we're not, we're not putting our reservation in the train to hell and it's heating up as we walk in the darkness of this world. We've been seated in the heavenly places. These are the, we need to know this so well that we can navigate these dark, dark, wicked times. So Lord, we pray that you give us a thankful heart that we never, ever, ever run back to the futile things that you've delivered us from, to the darkness that you've saved us from, to the wickedness that was once ours in the flesh, and that the power of your spirit would help us better understand what's ours in Christ. That we may truly be different, Father, that we may truly be shining the light of Christ in this world that desperately needs light because it's surrounded and dead in darkness. Keep us from falling away, please, oh God. Keep us from falling away. Keep us from being distracted to the right or to the left. Keep us simple, faith like a child, trusting in your finished work and what you've given us in your word. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.